turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. AM 1160. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good, friends. My name is Ian Simpkins, and I'm joined by Brian Fromm. The show all about entering into the gray, the messy, the not easily concluded. I think that's probably where a lot of us live, right? That space where sometimes stuff isn't totally black and white, and we got questions. Absolutely. Normally, we see people, they want to tie everything up in a bow, but we're hoping to have a conversation, uh, some interaction with people, and uh, and just... in. Acknowledge that there's messiness in this world. That's right. And we'd love to interact with you. You can find us in a couple of places. You can go to Facebook. You type in the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can also call us at 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594 throughout the rest of the next two hours. We would love to hear from you, interact with you, and uh, just get to know you all a little bit better. Well, uh, last week, we had our first ever guest in the history of this show. Which is saying something because we're a week and a half in, right? <laughs> and that's uh, that's Julie Royce, and Julie Royce has done uh, a great amount of investigating with James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel, and uh, there's been a lot of developments since we had her on the show. And I believe we have Julie on the line right now. Julie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. So I was the first ever guest, and now I'm the first ever repeat guest. Yes. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, we're thinking wow. of, we're thinking of wow. taking a, a play out of the SNL book, and if you make it to five, you get a robe or something. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm working for that. You're you're in the lead. So you're in the lead. <laughs> At this pace, you'll be there by Valentine's Day. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Well, well Julie, would you just by by way of uh, summary for our listeners, would you just give uh, some context, some background, give us just a, a, a teaser, a little bit of where we've been the last few months uh, for anyone that maybe isn't aware, isn't caught up to speed with uh, with everything that's going on? Sure. Well, there's a lot been going on, so um, I'll try to condense it as much as I can. But uh, back in December, I did an expose for World Magazine about Harvest Bible Chapel and James McDonald, and it included uh, issues of financial uh, misappropriation and abuse, allegations, for example, that Harvest took $1.8 million from Harvest Bible Fellowship. That was a church planning network of more than 150 independent churches uh, that Harvest used to govern and oversee. Well, the allegation is they took this money. They've never paid that money back. Mm. Um, Evidence of moving money from Walk in the Word, which is James McDonald's broadcast ministry, uh, to other ministries at will. And then, you know, for example, one of the things were... Uh, that came out in this investigation was that they had taken Walk in the Word money and paid for a deer herd Mm. up in Michigan. Well, when people are giving to a broadcast ministry, uh, is it reasonable for them to expect that that might be used to buy a deer herd in Michigan? Is that okay? Does that violate donor intent? 
Or then there were issues with McDonald's lifestyle, him saying he was going to downsize from the 600 or 6,700 square foot mansion uh, that was in Inverness. And instead he built an even bigger 6,900 square foot mansion with a 10 car garage in oh, Elgin, geez. you know? And so the question is, one, where does all that money come from? But he, he went on publicly in front of his own congregation and said he was going to downsize and here he upsized. Um, so there's, there's just issues with telling the truth and whether or not there's deception, there's governance issues. You know, how is it that James McDonald, uh, presumably, well, it's not even presumably, the elders even said this in one of their updates, that he uh, dissolved the governance of Harvest Bible Fellowship without any approval of the elders. Well, well how can somebody do that? What, mm-hmm. What's going on with the governance of uh, the church that this is allowed to happen? And then there were numerous abuse issues of people saying that McDonald regularly rages on employees, a videographer saying that he saw McDonald uh, verbally and physically abuse students, calling them morons and stupid. And, and again, this is a pastor. And so people were, I think, understandably shocked by this. Um, as a result, um, Walk in the Word just recently announced that it's no longer, it's, it's pulling all of its uh, programs from radio and TV and ostensibly, they said that was because they're moving all digital, but they've been digital for years. Yeah. Mm. Um, the word behind the streets and I'd talked, or behind the scenes, and I'd talked to some um, radio managers that had already pulled the show and said they knew of a lot of other people that were pulling them, uh, that that was really what triggered that. Uh, but most recently, and this happened just today, um, uh, James McDonald and Hartwell, the Harvest, the elders, announced that James McDonald will be uh, on an indefinite sabbatical from all preaching and leadership in Chicago, and they said they're launching a peacemaking process, uh, which will seek to identify and address some of these uh, personal failures, but also sins and errors in leadership at the church. So that's a broad um, sort of scope. I didn't even mention they had a lawsuit against me. That was dropped last week, um, and that's been a big part of the issue, too, but... uh, that's the cliff notes. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it feels like it's ever-evolving. Like, there are these dominoes yeah. that continue to fall. So, um, Julie, I would wonder if you even have a guess to this question, but how do you think in this all ends? Are we near the end? Is there a lot more to go? And just as you kind of look ahead, what do you see coming down the road? Well, I think that depends somewhat upon the leadership mm-hmm. at, at Harvest. I think there were a lot of us that were very disappointed today because we thought what was coming was going to be a resignation by James McDonald Mm. and some of the other key leaders and and perhaps some of the other uh, members of the McDonald family and the executive leadership. Um, The way that that Harvest is structured, there's a big board of 30 elders um, that really don't have any governing... (laughs) Uh, role at the church mm. uh, as far as they, they don't make the legal decisions or the financial decisions. That's all done by a very small group yeah. of uh, about five elders and James McDonald. Um, and so these executive elders had overseen all of this and were in charge of all of this. And clearly, at least for a lot of people, it seems like they had done a pretty poor job of it. Mm. And so I think a lot of people were hoping resignations were coming today. Uh, I was hoping, and I'd even posted about this last week, um, there needs to be some confession yeah. and repentance, some owning of sin. Um, this lawsuit they brought against me, for example, was full of things that were just so blatantly untrue, but not only untrue, there are things that 
they knew were untrue. Yeah. And and that's what I think is really shocking about this. And and so I was expecting, hey, how about an apology for the fact that mm. you sued us, you sued me um, for things that you knew were false mm. or things that if you didn't know were false, then you didn't do your due diligence because they clearly were false. You know, for example, they said my husband uh, was a close business associate of somebody he doesn't even know and has never even met. Oh, wow. Where did they get that from? I mean, you can't just make those assertions. Right. And then when they dropped the lawsuit, they didn't say, oh, we're sorry, that was bad. They dropped the lawsuit um, uh, in response to a judge denying that they could keep all of the subpoenaed papers and everything uh, private. So it mm-hmm. seemed like they were trying to hide things. Yeah. And yet when they dropped it, they didn't say, oh, you know, our bad. They said, oh, we still think these people did something illegal. And, and that, that's still on the record. Mm. And I was reading your blog uh, that you already wrote about today's events, and there was there was a line that caught my eye. You said, I join those who are skeptical with this announcement. Um, in a minute or so, briefly, what, uh, without all that you've already added, what is causing of that skepticism? It doesn't sound like you have much hope that yeah. much is going to change here. Hmm. Well, they, they put James McDonald on indefinite sabbatical from all preaching and leadership in Chicago, and I think in Chicago is the key there. Right. He's continuing to preach in Naples, Florida. He's gone down there for these winter months to preach, and he'll continue to do that. Wow. And so, you know, if this is someone who's not fit to preach in Chicago, why is he preaching in Naples, and how much control does he still have? I think a lot of people uh, have expressed, in fact, a former elder told me, you know, James is just going to keep running things. He'll still run the gang from prison, as he put it. Um, there's just not a lot of belief that his fingers aren't still in it. Um, so I think that's what they'd like to see are some resignations and some change. Yeah, understandably so. Well, well Julie, I, I want to continue this conversation with you. Um, and we also want to hear from you. So if you have thoughts about all of this, we'd love to hear from you. You can call 312-660-2594. That's 312 660 2594. Uh, coming up next, we're going to continue the conversation with Julie Royce about Harvest and James McDonald right here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins alongside Brian Fromm, a show all about Diving into the mess, man. The gray, the stuff that kind of gets a little tangled, a little messy, and sometimes there's not black and white conclusions. And we're joined by our first ever repeat guest, <laughs> Julie Royce. Julie Royce, uh, your resume is massively impressive. You've written and spoke. And most recently, uh, you've been kind of spearheading a lot of efforts that have to do with Harvest and James McDonald. But you just give, uh, for anyone kind of just joining us, just a really brief, maybe 30-second summary uh, about where we're at, what's been going on, and uh, kind of catch everybody up in case they're just joining us. Sure. Well, in December, I uh, did an expose for World Magazine that cited some financial and spiritual abuse at the church. Um, as a result of that, um, the church uh, actually just recently announced that Walk in the Word, for example, would be taken off of radio and TV. They said they were doing that just because of um, they were moving to all digital, but uh, a lot of people saying now that's because a lot of stations were pulling the program. Uh, there seems to be a lot of chaos at the church right now, and they just recently said uh, that James McDonald will be going on an indefinite sabbatical from all preaching and leadership in Chicago. He'll still be preaching in Naples, hmm. uh, but they are also launching a peacemaking process, bringing in two 
uh, outside ministries to do that, but they haven't named what those ministries are. So that's the the short version. And that, again, yeah, was a very short version. You can find a whole lot more about all of that at julieroys.com. That's R-O-Y-S.com. Her Twitter handle is ReachJulieRoys. There's a lot more information there. I highly encourage you uh, to head over there, just engage with that content. And uh, Julie, as you know, Brian and I are pastors, and um, we love the local church. We love the Big C Global Church. And we mentioned this last time you were on, that at the core of all of this, this breaks our heart. Like We're grieved, uh, not just because of this story, but because we know that this story is probably happening in other places as well, that there, there are some things uh, in the local church that uh, need drastic reform, that need to be fixed. You've mentioned some of them, accountability uh, of leaders, and, and this abuse of power system needs to be challenged. And, and amidst all the grief, amidst the heartache, and especially being in Chicagoland, like just personally, I know a lot of friends who are just heartbroken by all of this. Can, can you paint a picture of a way forward for us? Like, what are, what are some things, not only that we can learn retroactively, but also what are, the, what are some of the things, if I'm just an average church attender, like, how can I be a part of uh, systemic change? And if I'm a part of leadership, how can I help lead the way to some healthy change in my church, in my community? Can you just give us some, some coaching and cast some vision for, like, a, like a better way forward? Sure. Well, I mean, at the core of this is sin, right? Yeah. And and all of us sin, and none of us are exempt from that. I, I had somebody say recently that, that one of the um, hallmarks of maturity is not just not sinning. I mean, all of us want to not sin, but that's all of us do, but it, it's owning it as quickly as possible. And I think that, that when we have leaders especially uh, who are sinning and who are called out on that sin, what we'd like to see them do is own it as quickly as possible, confess it, repent of it, and then move on. In this particular case, we, we have um, we have pastors, a pastor who, for years, we have former elders who've been calling out his sin, you know, eight former elders in 2013 sending a letter and saying, um, these are disqualifying characteristics of this pastor. Mm-hmm. He needs to step down. Um, when that happened, then... What First Timothy 5 says is that that pastor, if he refuses to do that, and he's still sinning, he needs to be publicly exposed. And, and unfortunately, that's the step that we had to go to in this particular case. I would hope in most churches it never gets to that right. point. I would hope that when, when people come and they say, we have instances, and again, uh, Scripture makes it clear there needs to be you know two or three witnesses if you're going to bring a charge right, against right. an elder. But when that happens, we need to own that. You know, We need pastors that are humble enough when people point that out, and when their elders especially point that out, but they, they're grieved, and they say, help me, I, I, you know, I'm confessing it, and, and help me change so that I can uh, be a better leader. I, I think at the core, that's the sort of thing that needs to happen. But we need accountability on those elder boards. We need elder boards that aren't just yes-men, elder boards that are really holding the, the feet to the fire when it comes to the pastor, because he, he, is, he has such a great and awesome responsibility of, of pastoring the sheep. That is a, that is a great, uh, great advice for those of us who pastor small churches, big churches. That is, that is really good. Julie, I'm wondering, uh, I've been really impressed by just how out there you've been and just honest and, and your reporting here. Uh, we asked you this last time, but so much new stuff has happened. What is the feedback you continue to get? Has it been uh, mostly like, yes, cheering you on, or no, we don't want this stuff out there. What kind of stuff are you hearing specifically from people who have been involved 
at Harvest or, or in other places around there? Well, I would say the feedback on this one continues to be 80, 90% positive, which mm. has been just incredibly encouraging. Um, but I had somebody just recently post on Facebook, you know, why are you doing Satan's work? You're, wow. you're just airing dirty laundry, you know? And, <laughs> wow. and you know, I, I listened to that, but, but this is something I thought through a great deal. And, you know, it's interesting. In Scripture, we see a lot of people pointing out dirty laundry, so to speak. Yeah. Mm. And they're not doing Satan's work. They're often doing God's work. Mm. And I think it's important that we do it God's way and that we try to be judicious in the way that we do that. But I think calling out sin is, I mean, that's what the prophets did in the Old Testament, and um, I think we need to continue along that line. I think we've kind of lost that in the Church. We've kind of gotten to a, um, any hard message must be, you know, a sinful message. And and that's what often happens, too, is if if you say there's a problem and you're in a dysfunctional system, then you're the problem, right? That's right, Mm, that's right. Um, And it gets turned right back on you. And so... I've seen a little bit of that, but I tell you what's broken my heart the most, and what I've, I've even been talking to people about this. I'm like, we need to start a foundation to come alongside people that have been abused or are trying to blow the whistle. Yep. I have so many people that have reached out to me since this, saying, this is happening at my church, this is happening oh, at this goodness. Christian organization, Gosh. this is, you know, help me. I was, I was sexually abused by my pastor, and this <sighs> is, I reported it, and this is what happened. I've got so much right now, guys. I mean, honestly, it, it, it just breaks my heart. Yeah, because no I realize this sin is rampant, and we have, and again, I think it's a minority of leaders, Christian leaders doing this. Yep. I think the majority of pastors out there are working really, really hard, doing an awful lot of good, and get, a, get don't get a lot of kudos for it. But unfortunately, the, the ones, there are those out there who are abusing the sheep, and, and it is rampant. It's not just, you know, at one or two churches in Chicago. It mm. is all across the country, and... Um, and we need to listen to them, and we need to come up with a, a better way. That there's just almost every time when you have somebody who's abused in the church, they're a David against the Goliath. Yeah, and who right. helps them? Who comes alongside them? So I mean, that's one of the things I'm honestly just wrestling with today, trying to figure out how to help all the people that have contacted and me. I, and I think you hit the nail on the head, right? A posture of listening, right? Not assuming that we know how to fix first and foremost, but just he- hearing the stories. And I think. So we had Debbie from Schaumburg called, and she had some opinions about James and what he's always been about anyway. And I'm hearing all of this, and I'm thinking about my own life when, um, when I, you know, I'm really having a, a difficult time with someone or, or something, an entity. And um, this, this may sound like a strange question, but Julie, like in, in, a, in a minute or less, how can we be praying for Harvest and leadership? Can you just give us a challenge amidst all of this, amidst all this mess and all the abuse and the stuff that maybe hasn't even come out, like— how, how can we, anyone listening, be praying for this church, for the leaders, um, to a way of healing and restoration? Well, I would pray for the leaders that they would, they would be attentive to the Holy Spirit. Um, he's the one that does conviction, not us. And so I, I would just pray that, that they would respond and that they would, um, that they would be sensitive to that. And then I would pray for the people. I mean, there are yes. so, so many yes. good and godly people that are sitting in um, the pews there uh, at Harvest. Not that they have pews, I think they have pews. <laughs> but, um, it's metaphorically uh, speaking. But, <laughs> right. Um, but these are, these are good people who put their trust in, in leadership, and some of them are just heartbroken. Yeah. And I've, I've heard from them. They're reaching out to me, too, and I, and I hear their stories, and I hear their disillusionment. And Man, they just need prayer. Yes. And for yes. those who are just unbelievably confused, um, that they would just feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit and 
um, that they would know how to minister to each other. I, I think that would just be the prayer. That's so good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing that, for challenging us. Julie, I'm so grateful for you, for your heart, for your intellect, for your passion. Uh, you have been a great second time guest, and I'm just I'm just grateful for you. I just want to say that out loud that I'm we, really grateful for you and all that you do. As am I, and we are looking forward to the third time and beyond. Right? <laughs> what, what, what are you, do, hey, what are you doing next week? The, what is it? I get the robe. Yes, the robe. Ian promised you a robe, so I'll, I look forward to that. I'll find, I'll, I'll find a good I'll find a good embroider. <laughs> Once again, you can find Julie Royce Thank at Julie. julieroyce.com or on Twitter at ReachJulieRoyce. You can also find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can call us anytime between now and 6 at 312-660-2594. Coming up next, uh, we're going to meet a man who's both a pastor and an author, but he was also Brian's pastor. Yes. You're not going to want to miss it. That's coming up next here on The Common Good at AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. AM 1160. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. When we come back, we'll be joined by Pastor Kelly Brady. Uh, Kelly has a lot to say about being a pastor, uh, but we're, we're just going to join together and have a good time as he's my pastor. Ian's getting ready to know him, and uh, we're going to have a good time. So join us as we interview Pastor Kelly Brady when we come back on The Common Good. AM 1160. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian from the show about engaging about what we have in common, just as people, as humans, trying to figure this thing out that we call life, but also recognizing, man, sometimes stuff is messy, stuff is gray, and we want to dive into that, not shy away from that. And I think this is our, is this our first in-studio guest? I think so. It's a very, very special guest. Well, no, we had Dan Frio the other day. That's true. That's yeah. right. Number yeah. two, very special guest. And why is this guest so special, Brian? Well, A, it's a pastor. You and I have wanted to have pastors in here just to talk pastorally, talk right. about pastor things, um, but not to embarrass them. This is the pastor that gave me my first job. Oh, I'm, getting, so. I'm getting teary-eyed already. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Kelly Brady <laughs> is the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and uh, I worked for him uh, from when, uh, the month after I uh, graduated from college until when I helped plant Four Corners Community Church in 2010 in no Darien. Kidding. And in fact, Four Corners was birthed uh, out of Glen Ellen Bible Church. And so uh, my tie to Kelly is very tight, um, mostly because any any step in ministry I've taken, he's kind of given to me at this point. That's so, incredible. Uh, uh, so, Kel, welcome, man. Good to be here. Lots of fun. Yeah, thanks. I have so many questions for you, and we're going to get to that. Uh, but we actually have a caller. Uh, last segment, we were talking about uh, Harvest and James McDonald with Julie Royce, and uh, Anne is on the line, and she has some thoughts about that story. So, Kelly, I hope you'll weigh in a little bit with us here as we got three pastors around the mics. Uh, Anne, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks so much for uh, having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for calling. Now, what yeah. what is uh, no what is your thoughts regarding that last story that we were just talking about? So my thought that I just wanted to share, and I'm sharing from personal experience because I don't attend Harvest, but I think it's just a reminder that I think, you know, sometimes elders can forget that an unhealthy church extends beyond, you know, their actual walls of their church and their family. Right. Um, you know, because I have a relative who went to Harvest, and, you know, something was done wrong specifically to that, but, the you know, it extends into my life because it's someone I love, and I also right. know other people as well whose adults, children, 
um, you know, have been greatly troubled mm. by things that they've seen being overlooked by leadership and churches. So I think that's a point I just wanted to make. Thank that you. Unhealthy, yeah, healthy churches are paramount, you know, for a whole community of, of people who don't even go there. That's mm. great. Thank, thank you, Anne. Thank and you for thank calling. You, thank, you, thank you for that reminder, too, that it isn't just simply our address, right, that what we do... Uh, healthy or unhealthy extends well beyond not just to families, but our community and the neighborhood. And Kelly, not to start off that heavy, but have you experienced (laughs) that? Is that something that you've seen in your own life in ministry? Absolutely. There's no such thing as a private sin. And we'd love to tell ourselves Mm. it's part of the excuse making we do. This won't hurt anybody. I know it's not the Lord's will, but I'm only hurting myself. Yeah, right. It's part of the, the deception that's so common in stepping in to sin, stepping mm-hmm. uh, through the door of right. sin. And so, but there's no such thing as a private sin at all. I mean, yep. uh, when we sin, it's always a community issue, mm. and we're sinning against the Lord and each other. And so without a doubt, the, um, the mess of the church impacts the community. Yes, right. So at the same time, um, you know, the, one of my favorite sayings about the church uh, was com- when the church is compared to Noah's Ark, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the smell inside would be unbearable, <laughs> except the storm outside is un- unlivable, right? So, That's good. So, you know, it, it's true. There's sin in the church. We're, we're a collection of sinners, and there is no such thing as a private sin, but thank God for, for his grace. Absolutely. And, yeah, and no he's kidding. greater than anything that's going on in our churches. That's good. Um, which is not permission to continue in sin. Yeah. Uh, it's really an invitation to repentance. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Kel, as a little bit of background, uh, you joined Glenelg Bible Church in 1994, which just means you're getting up there in years, right? 1994. <laughs> I, I am 50 years old. I started when Ooh. I was 25 and just turned 50. That's not up there in years, man. You're a spring chicken. <laughs> Thank you. Bless man, you. Man, oh, man. I don't know what Brian I'm, like I'm going to ride the age <laughs> thing here, man, for a while. Uh, but Kelly was the youth pastor. Um, then you were the family life pastor. Yeah, That's when I became ministry. the youth pastor. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then you became the senior pastor, and I became the adult ministries pastor, right. essentially. Uh, and then Ian and I used to joke that Kelly was really going to have to mess up for me to continue this pathway up. So <laughs> Brian we kept and... pushing me out into the middle of the street, <laughs> hoping a bus would... I'm shocked, based on what I know of Brian. That yes, that was... <laughs> yes. Uh, Kel, so I guess what one of the things I respect most about you, and you and I have talked about the most, uh, is just this concept of endurance in ministry. Mm-hmm. It's doing the long haul, the old uh, Eugene Peterson, right? The long obedience in the same direction. Uh, so just um, without getting into the stories, how have you endured the highs and the lows of ministry to still be here doing ministry 25-plus years later? It's hmm. a great question. I, I, you know, I, obviously, I want to start by saying God's grace, God's goodness. Yeah. Um, you know, I think of the, the most recent story that uh, Julie was reporting on about the sabbatical that James is going to take, and I, I'm thankful for that for James, and I think it's it's beautiful that his church would offer him a sabbatical. I've had two mm-hmm. sabbaticals in 25 years, and, and it's safe to say the first sabbatical for sure uh, was something I desperately needed. Yep. I, I, I go so far as to say it saved my ministry, it, and that is, and I wasn't entering the sabbatical in the way that James is, but at the same time, I was exhausted. Ministry is life in a fishbowl, and so a, a church can really give a gift to its leadership by yeah. giving them a break. And, um, and so I've endured, I think, uh, by God's grace, but by also the leadership of, uh, leadership of the church caring for me in some unique right. ways. Yeah, that's without good. a doubt. Well, I think that's important, too, because that's the theme that we keep com- coming back to is that we're better together. And when Amen. we find these pastors that end up in these silos, in these vacuums, 
even with good intentions, it almost always seems to lead to bad places. And yep. if you're if you're just joining us, uh, we have in the studio Pastor Kelly Brady, the senior pastor of Glen Ellen Bible Church, and also the pastor that gave Brian his first job. So you can either celebrate, it's his fault. yeah, you can celebrate or mourn that fact, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but you've also you've published a couple of books, right? The first, Pocket Theology, and the second, uh, Following Jesus which is really talking about your disciple-making process, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the, um, when I became senior pastor, the, uh, I sat down with the elders and I said, uh, so what are we doing? <laughs> and, and they said, That's a good well, question. <laughs> and like every good evangelical church, they're going to say, uh, we're making disciples. And I said, well, how will we know one when we see one? Right. We spent three years. No kidding. Answering that question. In the book, it's been renamed. It's titled Following Jesus. Um, the book is really our philosophy of ministry. And, mm. and as a church, we do four things. Proclaim the gospel, restore the broken, equip believers, and send out disciples. Okay, would you, would you just say those four one more time? Proclaim the gospel, restore the broken, equip believers, and send out disciples. Gosh, that's good. It's good. I can see why you like him. I have the tattoo on my back. <laughs> <laughs> He's showing it us right good. now, It's actually. funny. <laughs> the church got so tired of hearing pro- proclaim, restore, equip, send. Proclaim, oh, man. Rest- that, yes. that someone made up a peel and stick tattoo <laughs> and the staff wore it around for a little while. So I, I have since, but it's the little book that we give away uh, to help people get to know our church. So, That's great. Yeah, it's good. Uh, speaking of the church, I know your passion Kel, for the local church. Um, what is it currently after these many years and where you're at in ministry? What excites you right now about the local church? Wow. Uh, the local church excites me because I see lives being changed. I mm-hmm. see God's goodness at work in the local church. I, I see uh, people discovering God's grace and um, lives being transformed, people getting set free. I mean, frankly, I mean, to Ian's point, we're better together. Yep. Uh, we're meant to do this journey together. I, I just personally, the blessing of following after Christ together um, is good for me. It's good for my family. It's yep. good for my kiddos. And, and so I... I'm enjoying that. Man, I, and I think this is a time where we need to be reminded of that too, right? That this stuff is still happening. Yes. The good stuff? The yes. Good stuff. Amidst yes. all the pain and heartache that we're, we're drawn to that kind of bubbles yeah. you know, above everything else, unfortunately. Well, if you're just joining us, we have uh, um, Pastor Kelly Brady in the studio, Brian's pastor. Coming up next, I'm going to ask some personal questions, maybe get some dirt on Brian <laughs> if that's okay. But if you have any questions, you can call 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show right here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. I love, that. I love that you're already laughing at this music, which has been my reaction every single time. Not me, I dance. You dance, you do. You, you have a, uh, a real closeted desire to dance I didn't Not realize. Not closeted. You just, just out just the the desire. <laughs> Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins and my co-host, my good friend, Pastor Brian Fromm, here on AM 1160. It's a show all about... Diving into the gray, diving into the diving into the messiness, the the real stuff that a lot of us wrestle with and question, but maybe don't have actually you know space to engage with. And we're joined by Pastor Kelly Brady, senior pastor of Glen Ellen Bible Church, but also Brian's first boss. Right, is the yep. first pastor to give him a job 
And uh, actually, the only pastor to give me a job. <laughs> oh, even better. Even better. Yes. <laughs> so again, you might be celebrating that or mourning yes, that, but either yes. way, it's true. I would look. Could you just give us a little bit of backstory there? What was it like? You know, the best thing I remember about interviewing Brian was. Uh, my my first name being Kelly, he thought he was coming to meet with a woman. Um, that is a true story. <laughs> I don't know if he was disappointed uh, <laughs> or, or pleasantly surprised. And did he tell you at, in the interview, like, oh, I thought you were a woman? No, no I, I was smarter than that. But I, I interviewed with Kelly literally the month before I graduated college. Uh, and all I was looking for was a part-time job because I was going to go to seminary, too. And so I went and met with him. Uh, and like now Kelly's really good. He's got all of these systems about how to interview people. And it's really long. Him and I had an hour long lunch and he said, well, you want to work here? <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. And uh, I wasn't the senior pastor at that time. I was the family guy. That's and right. so Brian came to church that Sunday and the senior pastor's working the center aisle, right? Glad handing yeah, people right, right. introduces himself <laughs> to Brian. Brian says, uh, Pastor says, how long have you been going here? He goes, well, this is my first Sunday, but I start, I start employment here on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> What was his reaction? Like, oh, he goes, good, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, it was an awesome story. So, uh, yeah. So then for our first uh, summer, where I was the youth pastor, but Kelly was actually still youth pastor. So we went on a bunch of trips together. Uh, we don't have time to tell the stories, but we we <laughs> lost a kid in Wisconsin, oh, and she just word. happened to find us at the bottom of the mountain. Uh, my first youth ministry uh, event, I had a kid got his arm run over by a van. So I've got all sorts of stories you and I are going to get into. But <laughs> I want to hear all of these stories. You will. How much time do we have? Not today, but you'll get those stories someday. Well, he, Okay, so here's the thing that I really love about the two of you, and we've mentioned this a couple of times already, the week and a half that we've had a show, yep. is uh, the like pandemic loneliness of pastors. Yep. The difficulty to find like confidants, and not just people that you can like trust deep dark secrets with but just people that you can like to have a true mentorship a friendship like you you guys are a different church i imagine there's a freedom to share because maybe at this point he can say names that you don't know and so there's just freedom to say man how did you navigate this how did you walk through this like and so many pastors seem unable to do what you guys have done and are doing what 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 do you think is maybe the secret to your success of having like a true like meaningful pastoral friendship yeah, that's a good question. I think <laughs> that, uh, you know, we don't talk all that much, but when we do, um, I just think it's more of a friendship, right? Like, it's not pastor to pastor. I hmm. When I'm uh, struggling, I talk to Kelly. You've struggled and talked to me. It's usually more from me to him. But yeah. <laughs> So, you know, pastors aren't immune to competition. Uh, I'm yeah. thankful that uh, Brian and I, I've never sensed a, a competition between yeah, us. That's um, awesome. I, I sense an eagerness to be a blessing to each other, support each other. Um, competition, you can't be friends with somebody you envy. Mm. Envy oh, gets that's in the way. Good. And so if you want to truly be friends, you, you have, to be, have to have a desire to be a blessing to them, see them succeed. And, um, and I sense that for Brian and I. And, and it's, it's, I don't know that it's unique, but right. it's, it's sweet. It's, it's valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think envy is at the core of a lot of the difficulty pastors have to really, truly have transparent friendships and ministry and life and the only thing that comes to mind is a swear word. Right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking yep, to, to add emphasis. Yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. Uh, gift envy mm. is a huge problem in the church. Wow, there's no doubt about that. And Kelly taught me that early on. So my desire to let's you know when I when I'm in worship and I'm singing mm. and I see the gifts of the instrumentalists and vocalists on the platform, it's easy 
for me to say, I wish, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Right, right. I, I want those gifts. I want that platform. I want theirs instead of mine, maybe. Right, yes. And we just need to be really careful there because that um, it, erodes, it erodes my joy. So when I have envy, hmm. not only does it erode intimacy in relationship, right. it competes with intimacy, um, but it undermines my ultimate joy. Wow. Being at home with my gifts is a terrific invitation. That's so good. So we talked in the in the first time where you were here, Kel. We talked about that. We joked that you've been a pastor for a while, and uh, we're all moving oh, along. You here joke, next. not we yeah, joke. No, I don't <laughs> think it was a joke either. But um, but you've also got many years still to go, Lord willing. And so I'm wondering, uh, having known you, you know, I think you're very content to be at Glen Allen Bible Church and kind of keep going. I'm wondering what you dream about accomplishing there. Hmm. Uh, is it, have your dreams? Are they this you know big dreams? Are they just I want to keep going? What are you dreaming about the future of Glen Allen Bible Church and your own ministry? All right, so we'll be transparent. Uh, Ambition is something I think a lot of pastors can be sucked into. I'm not immune to that. Mm. It's something that the Lord addressed in my life early on. Um, So I'm really careful about what I dream. Mm. That's good. uh, So what I pray about, I pray about thankfulness, contentedness, and Mm. fruitfulness. That's good. So rather than dream about... What can I accomplish? And the reason, my own proclivities, I get sucked into ambition there. And ambition doesn't serve me well. So uh, what I talk to the Lord about is um, is cultivating thankfulness, contentedness, and then, Lord, how can I bear the most fruit you want me to bear? Mm. Because it's for his glory that we bear fruit. And an accountant can pray that, a lawyer can pray yes. that, a pastor can pray that. Yes. And so uh, where and how can I bear the most fruit? And so that's what I talk to him about. And what he's been having me do is right. I, I think that's what he wants me to do. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. I love that. Okay, so so this is sort of a, a, a two-pronged question because you are the first pastor to give Brian a job. I'm thinking back, you know, how, how many years ago did you say that was? 1999. 1999, right? So a different, a different world, right? We're coming up to 20 years. I know. That's wild. Yeah. Well done. So, so what wisdom, A, can you give to, like, young, young people coming up wanting, you know, considering full-time vocational local church ministry— and then also, like, give a word of encouragement or wisdom to the church. Like, how how can we best care for our young staff? Because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of pitfalls that sometimes churches aren't aware of uh, when it when it you know particularly when it comes to young pastors. So I've got a friend who owns a a, a business, um, and he uh, he's often hiring people, and um, he says that uh, a part of the challenge in hiring is you meet with somebody, and and they basically say in the interview what you learn in the interview is. Uh, that the person you're interviewing has no experience, but they're willing to start at the top. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. And so, um, you know, the, the famous saying, writers write, mm-hmm. ministers serve. Oh. And so if you want to be a minister, my first question is, where are you serving? Yeah. And so this, this desire to start at the top, and yeah. Yeah. you understand the metaphor, it breaks down a little bit because um, we always describe elder leadership as uh, the highest level of service in mm. the church, mm. so not necessarily the highest level of leadership. Right. I, I get that it is that, but so where are you serving? It's an invitation to serve. Yes. It's a, he must become greater. I must become less. And so my, my real encouragement is if you want to be in ministry, find a place to serve and see what the Lord does. Right. See what he opens, that's not great. what door you can kick in. Wow. Oh, that's and, good. And a lot of ministers are, are trying to find their way to the closest platform. That's right. That's right. And, and I have that in me. So <laughs> we all do. Right. Absolutely. Let's be honest. I'm on the radio. 
Uh, we are every day. So, you know, so, we got that. <laughs> absolutely. Well, let, let me just personally say, as someone that really appreciates Brian and his heart and his ministry and his leadership, he talks so fondly of you. And I know that so much of who he is is a result of your leadership. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you for that. We'd love for you to call, to comment, to join us. You can call 312-660-2594, 312-660-2594, or on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. We've been talking with Pastor Kelly Brady, Senior Pastor of Glen Ellen Bible Church, here on The Common Good at AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Pastor Brian Fromm, a show about entering into the gray, the messy Sometimes things just aren't black and white, and we want to we want to talk about that. We want to engage with that. Hopefully, sometimes disagree, but we also really want to interact with you. And there's a, a couple of ways you can do that. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. You can also call us here in the studio at three one two six six zero two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. Uh, or 1160hope.com, and we're also podcasting this stuff. It's available on Apple iTunes because we know uh, not everyone listens from 4 to 6. So, uh, they don't? Yeah, I think so. I hope, right. Uh, so that's my guess. That's my hope is that uh, those resources are helpful to you. We'd love to engage with you and hear your heart, hear your story a little bit, and uh, engage into the messiness together. And the story of the week yes. seems to be this uh, this commercial from Gillette, right? Uh, they're calling it a short film it's less than two minutes. I don't know if you can call that a short film or not. We call that a commercial. We call it a commercial, yes. right. But uh, shot pretty beautifully, and it's yeah. kind of going after this uh, this idea of toxic masculinity. And, and I, I shared the video, and it's been certainly met by uh, mixed reviews. Some people are, are cheering it on. Yeah. Other people are uh, are really, really upset, and we'd, we'd love to hear uh, what you think. But bef- before we dive into that, though, that commercial led me to another story uh, that I think is really, really fascinating. The, the headline simply says this, Teacher Creates Gentleman's Club to Teach Life Lesson to Boys. And when you sent this to me earlier today, I was like, what is this? <laughs> right, right. Because it's in quotes, Gentleman's Club, and I'm like, this is just going to go off the rails. Why, but, why is Ian sending this to me? It, or the first reaction of Gentleman's Club is not what this is. This is actually a really inspiring story out of South Carolina. That's right. So South Carolina, Raymond Nelson, um, he's the student support specialist. And uh, what he did was he created this club specifically for young boys um, to help teach them to be men, gen- gentlemen in particular, teach them mm-hmm. about values and teach them about uh, respect and honor and integrity. And uh, one of the other things that he does that I, I love is that he has them show up in suits. And he talks about just the posture change when a kid is walking down the hallway in a suit and tie. And nope. if kids don't have a suit or tie of their own, he's got extras so that, so they can dress up. And this is like the, the quote of the entire story that I love. He says, when was the last time you saw someone fighting in a tuxedo? <laughs> Which, like, apart from maybe a Bond film. A Bond like, <laughs> I thought the same thing. That was funny. But, but in reality, though, yes. right? Exactly. And I, I just love this story because it's, it's his way of saying, man, I want to I elevate 
masculinity. These boys teach them honor, respect, how yes. to defend the honor of somebody else, how to listen well. And it is, for me, like a, a really great feel-good story to the firestorm that this this commercial is sort of caused. And what I love about this story is you and I talked about this yesterday when we first talked about this Gillette ad. We said sometimes it can be overwhelming. Like, what am I supposed to do? Right. right. And so we talked a lot about our sons and raising them. But, man, I love this. It says this. Each week in this gentleman's club that this guy started, each week they discuss a new topic, like how to shake hands, make eye contact, open doors, and address their elders. That's so good. Like, that's not rocket science. Right. It's not like each week we do algebra and we do we right. learn a new language, right? Like, no, he's going, hey, there's some building blocks right. to how to be a respectful, uh, chivalrous uh, man. Yeah. And this is guy saying, I'm going to do my part. Yep. To, to grow men into men like we were talking about yesterday. Like this isn't about telling men not to be tough or to be this. It's, sure. it's saying what does it look like to be a respectable man uh, and trying to grow kids into that. And expanding the definition of tough. That tough Absolutely. can look like crying or yes. sharing your struggles. And that this idea, it, it is multifaceted too. So there isn't just this one-dimensional picture of what a man looks like. And it, it actually made me think of uh, when I was growing up, my parents really loved the practice of bar mitzvah, mm-hmm. and uh, my dad said, I, I, I want to, to offer something like that for my kids. So when I turned 13, they had a sort of evangelical bar mitzvah, and um, so li- literally these men that my dad uh, like loved and respected, they came to my house. They literally called me out of the house, this sort of like symbolic calling out, and um, I, I still think of this day— today. Like we sat in a circle and they shared um, words of wisdom and encouragement. In fact, um, those men like each wrote me a letter on like how to be a man of God, how to be a man of integrity. I still have those letters. I go back to them regularly as this reminder when I'm feeling, you know, all over the place or, or when things just seem cloudy, like the words from these men had such tremendous impact in my life. Yes. And, and I, so now that, you know, we have a son and we have a second son coming in a, in a couple of weeks, like, that idea of like, man, I want to speak life and truth and purpose yes. into you just hits so close to home for me. They're going to get their picture of manhood from somewhere. Right, right. right? The, the, your son or the boys in your church or whatever else, they're going to get their picture of manhood from somewhere. Right. And I don't really trust a lot of the places that, that they can get that from. Right. And so I, I, there needs to be an intentionality that says, hey, we're going to raise our boys to be the men that we think men should be. And I remember even... Um, Early on in my son's life, I just made a decision. I'm like, I'm going to teach him hmm. that when your mom or your sisters are around, you hold the door for them. Hmm. And I remember as a little kid, at first he was like, that's not fair. Yeah. This Now he just does it. Right? He just does it. And hmm. so uh, that's a small one. Yep. But but like these little things, but it takes intentionality and it takes work. Right. And uh, I, you know what? If we want this this next generation of men being men, whatever that ad was saying, right? Like this. Right. It takes building blocks, and that's why I love the story you sent because this guy is going, I'm going to take the, the, the young men in my life, and right. I'm going to build into them and give them the building blocks, the foundation upon which masculinity is going to be built. That's, he's, he's, he's saying rather than just criticize, I'm, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to do what I can with what I have, and that was yep. one of the lines of the commercial was, uh, we believe the best of men. Yes. And they showed that clip from Terry Crews that says, we need to keep men accountable. And a lot of the the disagreement, a lot of the outcry has been, not all men are like this. And I would say, yeah, I don't think that's what the commercial is saying at all. Even if it's a small percentage, there's a a good amount of women, women I know, you know, who have been on the receiving end 
of some kind of harassment or even a, abuse or assault, as long as that's happening, like, man, I got, we, sh- we should be heartbroken by that. We yes. should be outraged, and that should lead us to some kind of action. And, and I, I don't necessarily think that simply saying, well, we're not all like that is, is life-giving to the people who have been on the receiving end yeah. and maybe not told a soul. They hear that and they think, that's why I don't speak up. Yes. That's why I don't say anything, because there's this like innate defensiveness. And I do think pendulums can swing too far in any conversation. But sure. the idea that a man of God says, man, when people are being oppressed or marginalized, mm-hmm. that concerns us too. Absolutely. And I think that we can get—what what bothers me is that we start to uh, hold up as a picture of masculinity things that are, that are not really masculine or—, or Right there, oh, I'm a weightlifter. Well, maybe you are, maybe you are. Sure, that's fine. Or I love sports, or I love to grill or eat ribs. All of these are things that I like to do. Well, not the weightlifting part, but (laughs) the ribs and the grilling and all that. I like to lift weights while eating ribs. Exactly. (laughs) But that's not the essence of manhood. Right. And so often in our culture, we say, this is what it means to be a man. You don't cry. You lift weights. You watch sports. You this. Great if that's what you want to be. Totally. Uh, But... Some of the most masculine men that I respect the most, uh, you know what? They like to read books. Yep. And they like to watch, you know, sci-fi movies, whatever else. They don't fit into that traditional category of masculine men. So we've got to nail down what is masculinity, especially in the church, and then how do we build it into our sons and the boys of our church and not let them buy into like, oh, you've got to be a man's man and do this. No. Yeah, right. You've got to respect women. Right, and you've got to be courteous. You've got to you've got to look people in the eye. All these things this guy was talking about, and most of all, you've got to love Jesus. It's manly to love Jesus and follow after him. And even in the person of Jesus, right, you see someone who is both caring for people that everyone else overlooked, and also sometimes flipping over tables and cracking whips. Right, it it isn't this one dimensional kind of flat caricature of this is what a man. If Jesus is the ultimate human, right, the ultimate man, and we see anger and sadness and compassion, I think. I mean, we, you just can't go wrong when you start there, right? I think that's Absolutely. that's so important. And I don't I don't think this is the end of this discussion. Not I think there's a lot more to say about this in particular. But coming up next, we're going to talk about another feel-good story about a town that launched a volunteer snow shoveling program. And uh, you might want to bring some tissue paper with you for this one. But this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160, Hope for your life. AM 1160. Again, I can't help but think of Tupac when I hear this intro. Do you know the song? I do know this song. You do? Yes. No, the Tupac version, though. I'm vaguely familiar. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you Oftentimes to recite it right we, now. It, it, you're going to learn, however many months or years or decades we do this show, that if you start a question with, do you know the Tupac song, it's probably not going to be in the affirmative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, now that we've established yes. the rules yes. of order here. Well, this is the uh, the common good, and uh, we've called it that for a number of different reasons. But one of the most important for us is to engage in what we have in common. It feels like more and more we're divided as a people, as a country, and they're shouting back and forth. And um, we want to create a space for people not only to listen, but to engage, to wrestle yes. with the messiness, the stuff that's not totally clear, maybe, or stuff that feels clear, maybe, to hear a different perspective. And so we'd love to hear from you. You can call us, 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. 
You can go on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. All of the podcasts and stuff will be posted there as well. So if you want to listen to stuff that we talked about, we would love for you to engage there. And uh, we had a a feel-good story, and we got another feel-good story. Uh, Brian Fromm here is going to be the deliverer of this feel-good story because we need some good feelings. Some good levity. We need some good... Uh, but I do think this story ends up being challenging because of uh, some implications for the church. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, but let me tell the story of one Jersey Shore community. Let me say parenthetically, I love the Jersey Shore, not the show, the actual <laughs> Jersey Shore. I want a sound clip of you just saying, I love, <laughs> I love the, the Jersey, Jersey Shore. <laughs> I grew up in northern New Jersey, so we spent many summer days driving down to Seaside, driving down. My best friend now lives down at Long Beach Island. I am all about the Jersey Shore. So when I read this and I was like, yes, the Jersey Shore, I'm good. Okay. So one Jersey Shore community, Cape May County, North Wildwood, okay? North Wildwood. Okay. Launched a volunteer snow removal program last week when around four inches of snow fell. Now, this program has a very specific thing. Volunteers in the community will have their shovels ready to assist senior citizens and disabled residents. Hmm. The shoveling program... The mayor said, allowed us to assist many of our residents, all of which are in need due to the danger and the nature of the activities. I am very, extremely proud, he said, of the hard work and dedication of all of our volunteers who went above and beyond the call of duty. Uh, and another town that does it down there by the, by the shore said this, their mayor said this, that he came up with the idea after a senior citizen lamented about people no longer going door to door to offer shoveling services. And so mm. this community has decided we're going to encourage people mm. who are able to go shovel, not for money yeah. or, or just not even just their neighbors, but very specific people, mm. the senior citizens and the disabled and now these people are going are being served by their community. That's amazing. And it, that is a feel good story. Again, like you and I were talking about before, there's so much bad in the world that to right. hear good in the world makes us go like, oh, okay, okay, that's good. Uh, the challenging part is this: uh, that should be the church. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's not the church in that community. Right. Right. But those stories should be endless about the church. Uh, standing up for the senior citizens. I believe that the Bible says something about widows and orphans, yeah, right? Right and, right? and about helping people in need. Uh, stories like this should be almost endless hmm. uh, being reported about the churches uh, in our communities and across the country. Well, and the thing that I love about this story, too, is there's no ulterior motive, right? right. They're not wearing, you know, like a website or a brand or anything. They're like, oh, there's this need. These people are our people. Like, I think it starts with that, right? Yes. Like, oh, no, it's not, oh, I'm going to, oh, you poor, you in this community over there or this, you know, low income, whatever. It's like seeing, it's like looking at people like, oh, man, we are, I think it was Mother Teresa said, if we find ourselves without peace, it's because we've forgotten that we belong to each other. Huh. This idea that like, you know, sometimes when we talked about this uh, earlier, this idea of like colonial missions work, like mm-hmm. I'm here to save the day and leave two weeks later, like, <laughs> but instead like. Especially the way that this is, you know, kind of framed. Like we're we're in this community together. Like we yes. we care for each other. That's part of what it means to just be human. I think. And Absolutely. It, it's easy to miss that because you know we're going a million miles a minute, and we have our own recitals and things we got to get our kids to and TV to watch. And I'm not obviously none of that's bad, but I think the reason that stories like this inspire us is because at at its core, it's how we're meant to live. Like mm-hmm. I think. Even of the word inspire, right? The word spire is from the Latin sanctus, which means breath or life, right? Wow. So when, when you see someone giving of themselves or sacrificing themselves or loving somebody else, 
when we say, man, that's inspiring, what we're really saying is, man, that that's life-giving. That gives me breath. Mm. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, you know what it's like to watch someone like act selflessly. And we all collectively say, yeah, yeah, we need more of that. Mm. We need more of that in the world. Like, There's something deeply hardwired in us to see that kind of love, see that kind of action that says, I don't know what that is exactly, but I, I want to be a part of that. Absolutely. We... We, we tend to talk about evangelism so much in the church, right? Like, how do we get the gospel out? How do we mobilize? How, how do we make it so that the community misses us if we were to go away? All of these things. And it, it's not brain surgery. Like, mm. it's, it's one of those old sayings, right? Uh, it's not hard. It's just difficult. Yeah, right. It's doing stuff like this. Mm. If the churches were out, I'm not saying they're not, but if our churches were out shoveling people's driveways or... Uh, serving somewhere where we're just picking up garbage or we're doing things at schools or whatever else. And the, and the community just saw us for no ulterior motive. Right. Like you said, it's not like, hey, let me do this and then now come to here. Like, right, no, no, we're right. just here to serve you. Yep. And people are like, hmm, like what's – why? And then, and then that opens the door to us to be able to say – Hey, it's because Jesus loves us and he loves you right. and we want to live out this good news in your life. And it's not even churches doing it as like programs, but just in your neighborhood. Just do it, right? Like uh I we were talking last uh before the uh last segment we were talking about how to raise boys to be men. Mm. And one of the most times I was most proud of my son uh was a couple years ago he was still really young and he just went without me asking him he started shoveling the older lady across the street's oh, driveway man. how proud were you i really was and it's things like that where people start to notice a difference we always yep. talk about in churches that that they should notice a difference and we think about that in terms of the things we stand for or mm. the things we talk about or the things we don't do all fine. Right. But how about the things we do? Right. How about the sacrificial love we show other people? How about the way we care for the least of these or the people most in need? Mm. I think that becomes the bullhorn for the gospel. Let right. me tell you, like you said, people will look to us and go, oh, wh- why? Yes. Why are you doing this? It's kind of like, have you, have you ever had somebody give you a gift and it wasn't your birthday and it wasn't a holiday? <laughs> You're filled with sort of that like, wait, well, why Why are you giving this to me? Yeah. And when the person says, I just thought of you or I just want you to know that I care. Like, we're people of the good news of that yes. kind of deliver, but it, it even still kind of it's there's a, a a discomfort sometimes. Like, wait, I didn't deserve this though. There's no reason for this, and I think that can lead to a real beautiful experience with Jesus. When people, why are you shoveling my walk? Like, oh, we just want to we want to care for you. We want yeah. to love on you. Like, we just think that's that's important. I think when people see a no strings attached kind of love, yes, man, that's when people start to like lower their guard a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's why we read throughout Scripture that. God, it's your loving kindness that leads people to repentance. Yeah. And I think we so we so quickly want to jump to, you know, some sort of make sure everyone knows they're a sinner, make yes. sure that, you know, they know where they're going when they die. Like, what if we just started, like, eating meals with people, loving on people, li- listening to them and their stories? Like, how, what would that change in our communities and our churches if we began first with that posture? Yeah, for one, it would make our communities better. If no that's kidding. all that it does, that's a good thing. But it would also spark conversations. And so I guess— um, wrapping this story up, what I would encourage people out there is what is one or two things you can do to bless your community? That's great. Uh, not with an ulterior motive, but what's one or two things? We're, we're supposed to get some snow this weekend. Is there something you can do there? Is there somebody lonely in your neighborhood? Uh, is there an, an old lady who could just use a friend? What's one or two things that you can do this week to, to show the love of Jesus with no strings attached? That's great. That's great, man. That's a great challenge. Well, coming up next... We're going to address a question that I've heard a number of people weigh in on over the years, and that is this. 
uh, should pastors be political? Should pastors be political? We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can call 312-660-2594. That's 312-660-2594. On Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. Coming up next on The Common Good, the dangers of politicized pastors. What's the role of politics in the pulpit and why should we even care? That's coming up next here on The Common Good. But first, let's check with traffic. AM 1160. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins alongside Brian Fromm. The show designed to engage with the messy, the gray, the things that don't have easy conclusions or nice, pretty bows. Because let's be honest, that's where most of us live, right? Yes. And we've 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 dove into a number of different topics today, and some feel good, some difficult. And we'd love to hear from you. If you want to call us, you can call three one two six six zero two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. Or on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. Plus, if you go to eleven sixty hopecom uh, everything's podcasted, and you can listen to stuff that we've done already in the past if you want to engage further with any of that. But we already the, have a library. We already have a, li- a library of what, like five? It's more like those six. ones when you're walking on, a, when you're in a walk on your neighborhood, and there's like the little, little house with like five or six books you can take. That's our library We're right now. We're a little mailbox library. Yes, yes. That's well, our, is, isn't that adorable? It's cute. <laughs> All right, well, here's, here's a question, honestly, that um, I've engaged with a number of times over uh-huh. the years, and I... I think my opinion differs now than it would have 15 years ago. And the question is simply this. Um, how political should pastors be, if at all? Mm-hmm. We found a story from the Gospel Coalition that kind of takes a deeper dive into that question. Why don't you give us the talking points there? Yeah, the Gospel Coalition is trying, is trying to answer that exact question. And so it goes back through history a little bit. And it's just asking, what role does politics and, and, and the pulpit play, and where should it go? And so let me just highlight two lines from the Gospel Coalition, and I'll give you kind of how I land on things, Uh, it says this, when pastors become political campaigners, politics corrupts the church and distracts it from its core business. Hmm. And it ends by saying this, uh, getting involved in campaigning and partisanship disrupts the unity of the church and invariably turns the church into a servant of temporal power rather than the kingdom of God. Wow. And so... Uh, I'm very interested to know where you land on this, because uh, as a lead pastor, uh, especially in this age of cable news, uh, Trump, the the Democrat, people are so polarized politically right now um, that I tend to not share a lot of my political opinions. Yeah, same. um, Because I'm fully aware that while people tend to believe everybody in a church is a Republican— it's not true. Right, right. <laughs> and so uh, I also try to teach our staff, like, hey, be careful what you put on Facebook. Mm. Be careful. Um, for me, it's really a couple of reasons. One uh, is, like, pick your hills to die on. Yep. Like, what's the things I'm willing to alienate people from me about? That's smart. And politics doesn't tend to be one of those things. Mm. Um, but two, uh, neither political party uh, has, has cornered the market on the gospel. Yeah. And so uh, Scott Sauls, I think I've used it a couple of times now, Scott Sauls writing about uh, politics and the church, he basically said 
uh, if your politics don't tick off, if your teaching and as a pastor doesn't tick off both the Democrats and the Republicans, you're doing something wrong. Mm. And so I tend, especially in my preaching, and this frustrates some people just to be flat out honest, is I <laughs> tend to be pretty apolitical. Mm. Uh, and I tend to get really frustrated when the people of my church are hyper-political. Yeah, I get that. Well, I, I think it's also important that we differentiate partisan from political. Agreed. And here, here's why, and this, this may not be a popular opinion, <laughs> I don't think you can pray without being political. Okay, explain. I, I think, well, uh, for a number of reasons. One, some of these phrases and titles given to Jesus— uh, I think it's easy for us to sanitize them, right? Because we've seen them mm-hmm. needle stitched on a pillow or watercolored on a mug somewhere. But like, for example, Jesus is Lord. That was the word Lord was a word yes. of the empire, right? Kaiser Kyria, Caesar is Lord. And then mm. these disciples, this, these early Christians come along and say, no, 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 Caesar isn't, Caesar isn't king. Jesus, Jesus is. Good. And a lot of those phrases they would call, they would call these different leaders, son of God. They'd call them anointed. Like a lot, what people don't realize is that these phrases uh, that we just sort of tack on, like they're Jesus's last name, were actually highly political. It was it was this subversive saying, "Man, you you declare empire of the world that peace comes through violence, that mm. peace comes through crushing your enemies." But this this Messiah, this King, he was crushed for our iniquities. Mm. He 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 was obedient even to the cross. And I think for me, even like when we're instructed how to pray, right? What do we call it? The Lord's Prayer, Lord is this deeply political, empirical word uh, that the early church was making a very, I think, close association to the kind of stuff that would have been on all their coinage. Like, coinage was, you know, ancient mass media. That's how you got your message across. And it had, a lot of these coins had phrases like, Caesar is Lord, Son of God, Anointed One. And so for for this ragtag group to come along and say, no, 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 we don't, like that, it's hard to get around the fact that they were in many ways political, but but maybe not partisan. Maybe that's your point. And it's I'm, a good differentiation. I think right. partisan is probably a better way to put it because there aren't a lot of people in our culture right now. I think I'm right to say this: who are like, man, you know, in this one I'm kind of democratic, kind of democrat, but the other issues I'm kind of republican. I kind of sure. understand the other side. People are so hyper partisan. Uh, increasingly, uh, man, I can tell you, I think the most frustrated and sad that I get as a pastor, and it was highlighted in 2016, but it's almost every year, is the day after an election. Mm. Because I see, you know, kind of the comments on Facebook and right. stuff of people. On both sides. Uh, totally, totally. And and see how much people care, even within the church, about, like, this is, they, they care that much more about the, po- the the politics than they do, in my perception, the gospel. Or, mm. Right. Um and so it is hard. But, you know, as a pastor, I want to say, you know, if I go up there and I am, I'm regularly partisan, then it's not the gospel I'm preaching. It's something else that I'm preaching. Right. And I'm pushing a segment of my people. I'm, I'm alienating them. So I will take stands and I have opinions. Right. Uh, I'm just not so sure that outside of – there are some exceptions to this, but generally speaking, I don't think the pulpit is the place – uh, to be to be rallying the troops politically, I think that's smart. I think that's wise, and I'm the same way. Particularly when it comes to the pulpit, I also think though that to be a follower of Jesus means forfeiting the luxury of neutrality in the face of injustice. That okay. sometimes when I say I don't want to, I don't want to get political, I get to say that because I'm a white straight man, mm-hmm. right? Like in a lot of ways, I think that there are 
there are current systemic political oppressions that it's it's more comfortable for me to say I'm not going to weigh in on that. But I also have to recognize that there are brothers and sisters on the other side of legislation that are getting destroyed, that are getting decimated. I'm not going to call out any specific policy right now, but I, I do have to recognize that, like, it is a, a, a little bit of a place of privilege for me to say, well, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to weigh in on that because either way, it doesn't affect me. And I think that is that is sometimes a sign of privilege to think that um, if it's not a problem for me, it's not a problem. Mm. You know what I mean? And yep. I think that's really hard to enter into the messiness of an issue that I've maybe never had to deal with or I've never been on the receiving end of legislation that, you know, whether you agree or disagree is um, oppressive in some way. And I think being a follower of Jesus means I still, that still needs to concern me. Um, and that, those are the things that we speak out against, right? Yep. And, and I guess for me, I am more than happy to have these conversations with people. I just tend not to desire to have them on Facebook. Yeah, that's or, smart. Or uh, in a large group gathering where I'm the pastor and I, I hold some sort of authority. I engage these conversations all the time with people and long to, to hear and learn um, on both sides of the aisle. I remember I ticked off a friend of mine <laughs> who's much more conservative than me. Uh, I made a comment about immigration or something like this that he vehemently disagreed with, and we went out to lunch, talked for an hour. Uh, it started contentious, and then we worked out, and it was great. It, it ended in a great spot. That's great. And I just think people in the church need to be modeling that better That's right. than being the types of people who throw bombs on Facebook and who demonize people within their church community. Your church community, I think, um, uh, circumcedes, uh, supersedes yep. uh, your political party or whatever else. Well, and, and this is kind of in light of the last story as well, that sometimes we need to stop trying to motivate governments to do what we've been unable to inspire our congregations to do, right? right? To say, okay, it starts with us. What difference can we make in the world? Let's go do it. Yeah. Well, I love this conversation. Good. Again, I think it's a conversation we're going to continue to have. It's been a bit of a heavy show, so we're going to wrap up the show with just some lighthearted stories that we found on the Internet. Some are funny. Some are bizarre. Yep. But that's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. This is The Common Good with Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins on AM 1160. Hope for your life. AM 1160. Okay, we were not notified ahead of time that our producer Josh was going to play that music. That's going to take me a minute and a half to recover from. <laughs> wow. That was epic. Way to go, Josh. We're, ch- we're cheering you on. <laughs> if you're just joining us and wondering what the heck is going on, uh, this is called The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, joined by Brian Fromm, a show all about engaging with what, what do we have in common and hopefully like, bringing some good out of that. The messiness, the gray, the tension. Let's, let's dive in and not shy away from it. We'd love to hear from you. There's a couple of ways you can get a hold of us. You can call us at 312 312- Six six zero two five nine four. That's three one two six six zero two five nine four. We're also on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Plus, all this is podcasted, so you can find it on Apple Podcasts or on eleven sixty hope dot com. And a couple times an hour, we just like to come up for air, just yes. to share some lighthearted stories. I think we're calling this interweb insanity. I thought we were calling it funny things we found no, on the internet. No. I- you're calling it that, <laughs> and the voice gets worse every time, I think. I'm going to keep doing it. That's fine. I'm okay with that. 
But we just wanted to share some fun things that we, we found on the internet that uh, make us laugh or make us cry or make us go, huh? So yep. why, don't, why don't you kick us off, Brian? First one, from Kentucky, Petersburg, Kentucky. A nine-foot-tall snowman dealt vandals a dose of karma on Monday. So the story goes like this. This man and his fiance. Uh, and his soon-to-be sister-in-law were enjoying the winter weather and decided to make an oversized snowman in the front yard because one of them had never really seen snow because she was from the south. In order to build a more structurally sound snowman, they decided to use a large tree stump in their yard as the base. The trio covered the exposed bark with snow, so they (laughs) built the snowman around this tree trunk. (laughs) They then left, not thinking anything of it, after returning from work, this man found tire tracks through his yard leading to the base of the snowman, leading him to believe someone tried to use their car to spoil their winter fun. Someone looked at it and said, I'm going to run over that snowman with my car, only to get a rude awakening when they hit the stump. Instant karma, he explained. It's hilarious. You know what goes around comes around. So I guess everyone learns a valuable lesson here from Frosty. The snowman. I just what, what kind of person is like? I have to destroy that person's snowman immediately. A terrible person. <laughs> a terrible person. I can't think of the last time I made a snowman, but, but I, uh, I also love that they were able to pull away, but that the tire tracks went right to it, and then you uh, think that person was like, uh oh, just got to turn around. You know, they, didn't, they didn't inch toward it. They probably came at that thing fast, <laughs> fast and furious. All right, so this is a uh, this is a local story, and I'll read the headline. The headline is um, Alinea, one of the world's Best Restaurants, which is actually in Chicago, invites Clemson football team to dinner after Trump served them fast food. So uh, Nick Kakanis tweeted, I could care less about college football, but I'm personally inviting the Clemson Tiger team and coaches to Chicago to experience what a real celebration dinner should be. I'm not joking. Someone let them know what the Alinea Group does. It'll be worth it. Well, Clemson is getting a lot of free food out of this. <laughs> in general, they're just getting fed. I've been reading all this stuff of people going, hey, I want to give you new food. And I even heard their their star quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, was like, we're college kids. We enjoyed the fast food. <laughs> fast food is our a, speed, right. It's just a strange story. Every story now that involves Washington, D.C. and Hawaii, it's just strange. <laughs> strange. Stranger than the next. All right, study. Millennials. Millennials are in the dark about this symbol on their car dashboards. According to a survey by Goodyear Auto Service and Just Tires, uh, a survey of more than 1,000 drivers, they found this. You ready? Okay. 49% of young drivers were unable to recognize the, the tire pressure warning oh, light no. on their car. <laughs> they didn't know what it was. When shown it, they didn't know what it was. And, in fact, they were multiple times more successful in, in identifying emojis than no. they were in the tire pressure warning light. And this hurts my heart because right now my tire pressure warning light is on and I keep having to fill my tire until I can get to a place. But that is amazing. Is, is your tire pressure light on because you drove your car into a snowman that was around the tree? Is that, is, is that, are you confessing no on the air no right comment. now? I knew it. It is pretty bizarre, though, because they've done other studies like this with like well-known symbols. At least they have been. And the number of millennials that are more easily able to identify emojis, which you could argue is like the new language, right? Like the, the yes. old man in me, I'm wearing a cardigan, you can't tell, but the old man <laughs> in me is like, oh, that's ridiculous that they can only identify emojis. But I do wonder if things like cursive and ampersands and the things on the dashboard, like uh, they might become obsolete. It might be more valuable 50 years from now to, to know emojis, which 
even just saying that out loud kind of hurts my heart. You're, you're going to quickly become, especially as we do this together, you become the old guy. You're going to start speaking <laughs> as an old guy. I'm wearing a monocle right now. <laughs> okay, so this headline says it all. Pawn shop owner says he sees 10 to 20 federal employees every day during shutdown. Wow, that's sad. It is kind of sad, isn't yeah. it? That's not a feel-good story. No. Why, why, I don't know why you just went down Jeez, that one. Louise. 24 days into the government shutdown, a Chicago pawn shop owner says he sees 10 to 20 federal employees come in each day in order to continue feeding their families and paying their bills. Like, that is that is actually hard. pretty heartbreaking, right? Yeah. And a pawn, a pawn shop is notorious for not giving, like, a like a great return. Right. Right? You know, no, no one's usually waking up at 3 in the morning thinking, man— where can I sell my microwave at an eighth of its value right now? <laughs> oh, that's right, hard. that's that's heartbreaking. I feel like you took us in a hard spot there. So sorry, man. Pulls I, out I'm, of it. I'm, I'm going to go one more for us here. Is it sad? Uh, not sad. It's just hard. Let's get this government shut down over already. Let's. I know there's there's reasons on each side, and sure. it's just getting crazy. But there are some hardworking, innocent people who are really getting hurt by this, and we're just praying and hoping it gets resolved soon. Right? Yeah. No kidding. Here you go. Genius six year old goes viral. For memorizing every country in the world. Wait, what? You heard it correctly. Let's face it. Geography is kind of an overlooked thing. But six-year-old Landon Gregory uh, is a bona fide expert. He recently showed off his knowledge on the Ellen DeGeneres show, and it's pretty impressive. He can name every country in the world. Ellen gave him a little quiz on the show, and not only could he instantly find Chad on the map, but he knew its capital. No kidding. Also, the country has almost the same flag as Romania, he said. He also managed to find and name the capitals uh, of uh, of the Philippines and Brunei. He six years old. Six years old, and he can memorize and name every single country in the world. Here's a, here's a quiz. <laughs> do you think that right now, if I'm not going to do this, but if I even just put in front of you a blank uh, map of the United States. You can get all 50 states correct. Not even close. Because I think I could come really close. Really? But I'm not confident. But I was able to do it in the second grade, which is always weird to me. Like Second <laughs> right. grade, you like got the ribbon for right. doing it. But now I'm like, I'm not so sure. I think I can do it. But I don't want to be so See, bold. I, you I, were like, nope. Not, not going to be able to do honest, it. Honest, I could barely tell you if he was even facing right side up. I don't even. I did learn a song, though. I can sing the 50 states in alphabetical order, and I'm not going to do that right now. But that song <laughs> that song has definitely stuck with me, which it does kind of show the, the pliability of, like, a young person's brain yeah. to, like, hold on to that it's amazing. forever. It's amazing. Which also includes, like, jingles and songs that I wish I could forget. But Absolutely. Right, I'll wrap this up with the true feel-good story. Okay, good. Headline is this. Texas church pays off school lunch debt for more than 200 students. Yes. One Texas church band together over the holidays to donate $10,000 to pay off an entire school district's student lunch debt. How This is exactly what we've been talking what about. We're talking the church about. being the church saying this is an issue, this is a problem in our own backyard, in our neighborhood. We're going to go after it. And, it's, and it wasn't just some sole person being a hero. It's the, the church, the community of God saying... We're going to take care of this. We're oh, that, people of now action. you inspired us. You inspired us as we head out here. This has been a good show, man. It's been a good show. Thanks to Kelly Brady, to Julie Royce. Uh, I've been inspired by today. Some hard stuff in the church, some good stuff in the church. Been inspired to go out and be the church. Be the church. Love your neighbors. And uh, so it's been good to be with you again today, man. Let's do it again tomorrow. One of the things I learned from you today, too, that I think is so important is to lean in, right? Yeah. Rather than having... An argument or a debate via Facebook where, let's be honest, we're very rarely our best selves. 
Like, take that person to lunch, take them out for coffee. At the very least, even say, hey, could I have your phone number? Maybe it's someone you don't know. Like, I'm trying really hard to understand your perspective. I recognize that you feel this. I'm going to engage in this conversation because that's what this show is all about. How can we enter into the messiness of life and do this thing better? It has been such a blast to be with you. This is The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm on AM 1160. Hope for your life. See you tomorrow.